Welcome to the Crater Podcast, a weekly show where we discuss all the JavaScript news that's happened on Crater.io this week. This episode is for Friday, May 13th, 2016. This episode is brought to you by Modulus.io. They're an easy way to deploy your application no matter the language or framework that you're using. They are great for deploying JavaScript applications using technologies such as Node.js, Meteor.js, Feathers.js, and many other frameworks. They recently updated their build process for Meteor to include uploading the code to a build server. They use a Docker component to create the build and output a consistent application that gets sent to the servos making it more reliable and easier for you to deploy your Meteor application. Check them out, modulus.io. DigitalOcean is the best place to get your Meteor application off the ground quickly and the easiest to scale when you find success. I host crater.io there, so I understand DigitalOcean. Start with a pre-configured one-click launch, such as Node.js, to get it up and running in 55 seconds or build the exact infrastructure you need with root access to servers running 100% SSD and state-of-the-art data centers around the world. DigitalOcean is the fastest-growing cloud infrastructure provider because it's built for developers and laser-focused on its mission to create simple and elegant solutions for developers and teams. Use the promo code CRATER10 on the billing page when you sign up for $10 to get started. Spooky! (laughs) (laughs) Ooh. AKA the day Avi hit his head. <laughs> it's a bad day already, man. Woke up, hit my head, got a little bruise on my face. I want to show people at work, so nice. put a band-aid on it. You know, that's what they're made for, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome, Crater fans. I'm your host, yeah. Josh Owens, along with my co-host. Avi Iyer. All right, dude. So today, uh, I think we got a good lineup. We were just talking about before I hit record here, talking about unlimited repos on GitHub, Vue.js 2.0, Mongol 2.0, and uh, do you even GraphQL, bro? No, wait. (laughs) How do I GraphQL? That was it. Awesome. So yeah, let's dive into it. GitHub, yes, that was like a big announcement this week. It was like two days ago, a day ago, something like that. Like I just, I woke up and like, normally we don't even see like GitHub news hit crater, but uh, this one was big enough that someone posted it there and it got some upvotes. If you have like a paid account and you're a private developer, like this was great news, right? Like my bill just dropped five bucks a month. But I think if you do the math, the the amount of money they're going to make off of medium to larger companies went like, you know, way through the roof. So more than compensated for the fact that uh, they dropped my bill $5. I know. Yeah. It works well for some. I know like the company that works next to us in our accelerator, Mm -hmm. they were saying that like, Oh yeah. Like it's actually more expensive for us now because they have a lot of uh, developers in a certain project. And I think it's like, how much is it per head? It's like, I think it's nine bucks per head, but it's like $25 and you get five collaborators and then it's $9 a collaborator after that. And that's, I think also a bit of a change too. like, 
I think before you could have people collaborating with you and that wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah. Um, you know, you could like, they were limiting you by repo versus per user. It's really, really interesting. Like I think back to the early days of differential, like when we went, we went to like, I think the $50 account or something like that. Yeah. We really did it because of the number of repos we had. So it would be advantageous in that case. But I think now, you know, they're at like 20, 25 employees. Like it would likely cost them more now than what they were paying before. So, yeah, there's also people who have like a lot of employees that work on like a monolithic application. So like they're only going to ever have one repo. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that sucks for them too. But I don't think you have to upgrade, right? You can just have the same plan you are right now. Well, so the nice thing, and I think they did this right, you know, looking at their announcement, they're not forcing anyone to switch right now. Well, I guess they they forcibly switched the paid private accounts, but they dropped the bill. So yeah. <laughs> it seems like the right thing to do there. But then they, they said like, you know, go ahead and take a look. You can evaluate it. If it makes sense, go ahead and switch. You can stay on your current plan. And we don't have any plans right now to do away with the current plan. But if we do, you'll have at least 12 months notice. That's the right way to do a pricing change like that, in my opinion. Yeah. Kudos to them for doing it right. Like, what are you guys, out of curiosity, what are you guys using at WorkPop? We use GitHub. Do you? Uh, yeah. And we have three or three private repos. Yeah. That's it. And uh, two micro, or actually four now, like all our microservices are in the repos. And thankfully we're on that godfather or grandfather clause type thing. So we can operate with the same uh, pricing strategy we had before. Mm-hmm. Now we have like 20 engineers. That would have costed us a little bit more. But I don't know. In a startup like ours, we're not really concerned about technical costs on like, these are like, I don't know, GitHub is like one of those integral parts of your 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 workflow for a big team, uh, even like an individual. So it's like one of those things that like, it's like your servers, your uh, database, and your GitHub or your repository. Those are the three things that like are integral to your dev team working. Right. So you got to like pretty much just like, you know, go with the changes and like, you know, see what it works for you because there's not much alternative. I mean... Just like GitLab or yeah. something like that, like Bitbucket. But yeah. honestly, like I have every time that I run into Bitbucket, it just feels inferior to me. Like it's it's hard to navigate. It's hard to, yeah. you know, even I don't even think they have. I know, I think Atlassian is the one that puts together Bitbucket. They maybe have some tools, but they don't have any kind of integrated like issue tracker. Do you guys use... GitHub issues. Oh yeah, it's funny thing is we don't use issues. We use Jira, which is by Atlassian. <laughs> so it's really interesting. Um, we use that tool, but that's mo- mainly because GitHub is made for developers by developers, mm-hmm. and like, Atlassian is made by developers for whatever a product manager was thinking of. Because Jira really sucks, right? To be honest, like <laughs> yes, it's it hard does. to use. It's hard to be customized. Essentially, most people are using like one tenth of the features it actually has because mm-hmm. it's hard to discover any other features that has, right? Yeah. But our product managers have used it, you know, in the past because it's like one of those like industry things that everyone uses that stuff. So we use that. And I actually, on a, like on Apollo, everything's done through issues. And that actually works well when you're just, when it's only developers and, and stuff like that, it's, it's nice to use issues. Issue tracker is great for, uh, you know, open source, I think. 
Yeah, well, and I, I like it too, like having private repos, working with customers. I, I find it's a good place. Like they seem okay to collaborate there. And uh, I, I've got one designer and one developer as well that work for me. And like they, they're, they're comfortable there as well. So it's just easier for me to assign work and GitHub issues and that kind of thing. It's also good for your career because most people use GitHub. Mm-hmm. So like you might as well just like understand Git and like how GitHub actually works. Because your next company probably is using GitHub. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. Yeah. One last comment. I think I want to like kind of like commend GitHub. Like this is probably one of the nicest uh, like uh, migration paths I've ever seen. Like no one has ever said you've got twelve months, mm-hmm. and we don't know what we're doing, but it's going to be in twelve months. We'll figure it out. But don't worry right now. Like no one has ever given me that luxury. It's always like. Oh yeah, in the new release everything is broken. So you know, good, you know, good luck, you know, and stuff like that. Or yeah. Oh, yeah, we're, we're changing our prices at the end of the month, or we're getting rid of all the free servers in two weeks, and, <laughs> like you know, things like that. So I, I commend GitHub for, uh, for free that. servers in two weeks. Were you referring to someone specifically? <laughs> no, not really. Uh, yeah, no, I I totally agree. Like it's to me the way I read it is like. You don't have to switch now. And if we ever decide we're going to force a switch, you'll have 12 months from that point yeah. to, to kind of make a decision. And that's so like... Yeah, it could even be more than a year from now that you actually have to worry about it. Exactly. That's so awesome. it's like, I, I, I think at that point, like if you switch to GitLab or anything like that, like 12 months is plenty of time to make that decision. Oh, right. <laughs> even in an enterprise, you can make that decision. So Once again, it's developers for developers products for developers by developers. It's like how we think. Like we wouldn't do that hopefully to like another class of, you know, professional like ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, you know, it is kind of interesting though. I think this is slowly over time. If you pay attention to GitHub, like it's less campy and less funny and and less like, like it feels more business. Like reading this article was more like businessy to me, even though, I mean, they did it the right way, but Definitely, like, there was no funny Octocat header. Like, honestly, yeah. it was the first time I read a GitHub blog post in a while. So, kind of big news, I guess. Yeah. And they have the Nagware going on, too. So, like, every your profile, if you're in a private repo, half the page is, like, the announcement. So, it's like... Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's in your face, you know? Like, yeah, do it. Everywhere. Some people so might just do it just to get rid of that freaking... Uh, that little section of the page, so... So that was GitHub pricing 2.0. Tell us about Vue.js 2.0. <laughs> That's great ordering, my friend. Yeah. Um, so as most people, I think Vue, if you've been using Laravel, you know what Vue is, which Laravel is a PHP framework. If you've been using just straight up, like if you're just in the JavaScript know-how, you know what Vue is. And Vue is just a front-end reactive framework for building really composable user interfaces. The creator, his name is Evan Yu. He used to work at MDG. He's the author of this. And with Vue 2.0, he's made some really, really nice changes to the framework. And I'm going to go into a couple of them right now. The thing about Vue that's different than other like JavaScript frameworks is uh, Evan's take on reactivity. And his take on reactivity mainly is that everything should just be getters and setters on objects. There shouldn't be like these wrapper functions or like crazy magic. Essentially, it should just be plain JavaScript objects that invalidate themselves, get, and set. And that was the whole like principle of view. Another principle of view is everything is a component. And 
you write these components similar to Angular directives, so it's readable components, you know? Um, so in, in Vue 2.0, they did a bunch of new stuff. So they got a vir- they're using a virtual DOM renderer, which is super cool. They have their own implementation of virtual DOM so that your components already know when they should update themselves. And that's beautiful because in React, if you want to control rendering or updates, you have to use should component update. And that's like kind of what you're restricted to. And you have to either do some calculations in this function to return true or false, whether to prevent rendering. And Evan looked at that problem in the React community and solved it in Vue by automatically doing this type of should this thing update behind the scenes. Now, some people like myself don't like that type of stuff. Like I'd rather control my own destiny. But if you're trying to go fast and you're trying to make a good application, why worry about small stuff like that? You know, it isn't until your app is so big that you, that thing matters. Um, another thing is, like Evan is a designer. He went to the Parsons uh, School of like, uh, you know, uh, is a technical technical arts, and I talked to him about that. And he is a design minded first, like first, right? Yeah. And for designers, templating is really really natural. So he wanted people to preserve their love for templating in view, but. If you like JSX, if you like that React syntax, you can drop down into the, the virtual DOM layer of Vue and start writing JSX, or not really necessarily JSX, but you know, virtual DOM code. Um, so that is also a potential. And then I think the last major point to bring up is they're going to give you server-side rendering. And every, everybody who talks about JavaScript frameworks, the first thing they ask is, oh, where's the server-side rendering? You know, I got to render stuff on the server, make my page load faster. And Evan uh, definitely needs um, to figure that out too. And I think a lot of this comes from all the pain points at Meteor that people were talking to him. I think he was just taking notes because uh, they didn't really give him the time of day for his framework there. And it's kind of sad that it didn't because this product looks super good now. You know, everything about it is like it's well documented. The docs look beautiful. The actual component model, I think, is very, very, very elegant. And it's, it's, and the reactivity model is, like, very controlled. There's controlled renders. Everything you wish Blaze was, Vue is. Like, mm-hmm. seriously. I kind of wish that Meteor took Vue into more of, a, like, a, a supported approach because right now the PHP community is blowing up and their applications are going to get – they're going to start blowing up because of the front-end capabilities now, you know? I think Laravel is a very, very like cutting edge PHP framework that has actually like been around for years now, and they've adopted Vue as like the the front end library. So you got a bunch of people on that side of the world actively developing components and libraries and all that stuff. So I don't know, it's a great ecosystem, and just wish that we because he solved all the problems that people wanted in Blaze. It'd just be nice that it, if Vue was that Blaze replacement, that would have been cool. Yeah, that's my take on it. Yeah, you know, it's 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 interesting you bring that up, right? Because he he did work at MDG and like you know we've we watched him like he was working on React and Blaze and like they stuck him on the front end team and like clearly he's a he's a smart guy to put there, but yeah. at the same time it was definitely a head scratcher. Like, why not have him do view integration? Like, if you're gonna drop Blaze, like why not say like, well, we're gonna maybe have a quick bridge to get you to view because there's a nice uh, separate community that's been building over there. Yeah. And, you know, that, that's something they wanted to see with, 
with Blaze. I don't, it, it definitely was odd, but you know, it's interesting too, because he's got, uh, I guess you call it Vuex. Yeah. Which is a, like a, the unidirectional data flow for view. Right. Kind of like Redux, but you know, like Vuex or whatever. How do you really say it? I thought it was French for a second. I was like, what is this, you know, Vlux thing? But, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> See, that's another thing. Like I talked to Evan about, you know, about Redux when he was at Meteor because we were just transitioning from Blaze to React. So like them as a, them as like, cause we are on a customer, we're like a customer of Meteor. Mm-hmm. Uh, they like contacted us and made sure that we had the right tools to migrate to React and like that it was going to be a good process for us. And yeah, we, him and I talked about it and very insightful. And I, I really feel like he was just taking a step back and seeing how this stuff is going to play out. Very smart, like very wise. Just see how this stuff's going to play out. And then he's like, okay, someone won here. So uh, virtual DOM won. Okay, I'm going to take that. Server-side mm-hmm. rendering, everyone wants that. Okay, I'm going to take that. Yeah. And then uh, really nice, clean templating syntax, but also JSX because people wanted both. He did both, right? Yeah. Something that Blaze didn't do and something everyone wanted to react. Like really, honestly, I think if people are building Meteor apps right now, they should invest their own time in making a view integration because it might make your life easier. Maybe. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm kind of curious. Like I want to read more on the uh, streaming server side rendering, right? Because he's, he's talking about like they render the component and you get a readable stream back and then you can pipe, pipe it through the HTTP response. So like this, what do they say here? This ensures your server is responsive and gets the rendered content to your users faster. Yeah. So I know that's, that's really, really kind of interesting to me because I feel like if, so the thing with server side rendering is like when you stumble upon a site that's using it, it actually does feel a little bit faster in my opinion, like with, for example, Nova versus like non server side rendered uh, the way crater is now, like the new version feels much, much faster with SSR. So like, Making that even faster to like send some code and then send some data along as well. Like that, that's really, really interesting to me. Yeah. And it really is that that perceived performance goes up because you see HTML right away. So like in your brain, you know that, Oh, I'm ready to go. You know, mm-hmm. and, uh, it isn't until later that the JavaScript comes and right. uh, itself. So I think it's great. I think uh, I can't wait to see what happens in the future for Vue. It's great. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And if Evan listens to this, like I, I did ping him privately, I haven't heard back, but I'd love to get him on to talk more in depth about view on the space. Like the space dojo show. Yep. Definitely. It'd be a great topic since we've, we've talked about, you know, react and react native and all that kind of stuff. So interesting stuff. View native. That would be some interesting stuff. View native. View native, yeah. We've got native script. We've got React native. Yeah, just need view native. He did. He did reference that in the post too. Like maybe that's a possibility. So yeah, that's the limit if you're looking at other people's uh, mistakes, right? Yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Speaking of uh, sky's the limit, the next topic is from um, Max Savin. He, uh, if you're not familiar, he wrote something a while ago uh, called Mongol. I was always kind of impressed with Mongol. 
I don't know. It was an, it, it's interesting to me because it was developed as like a package that you drop into your media app, but it gives you like this UI on the page and it shows you like what's going on in your mini Mongo memory cache and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think it's great. Um, I wonder like what would it look like if it was a Chrome extension instead, kind of like what um, Re- or React has, something yeah. like that. Also, there's the there's the people I forgot their names, but we use this at work. We use the Meteor Dev Tools, which uh, does has a Blaze Inspector, it has a DDP monitor, and has a Mini Mongo querier. So like that is nice utility. Doesn't have the, all the orbs and stuff and all that that stuff, but if you need a basic instrumentation, like that was there for you. So. He didn't have a changelog, but I asked him what was going on with it, uh, and he sent me a list. So uh, he's added support for uh, transformed documents. So if people aren't familiar with it, with Meteor, you can apply transforms as data is coming out of the database, um, and you can attach things like change the data or attach new methods onto the object if you want. Like A lot of interesting things you can do there. So there's support for that. Uh, he improved the scoping of the CSS, so hopefully that's not bleeding out anywhere. The inline editor is a little bit better. Um, you can right-click to close a window, right-click on Mongol when it's closed, and it'll move it off the page, I guess. You know, this is the precursor. I think today he just announced Meteor Toys 3, so uh, we're going to see a lot of a lot of little improvements coming out there as well. And those are the like the orbs that you were talking about and that kind of stuff, like... Definitely, um, Mongol's like one piece of that. He has yeah. Jet Setter for tracking like reactive state using Meteor. And then like with Meteor Toys, he's got like 15 different orbs, as he calls them. And you can do interesting things like uh, pretending to be a user and yeah. all kinds of fun stuff. So that was pretty cool to, to see that update coming out. I think that uh, we're at this point where like it was announced so long ago, uh, maybe not everyone's heard of it. Like I, I noticed in the forum post, people were like, I had no idea this even existed. <laughs> yeah. It's been around for a while. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It should be in the guide. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe there should be like a tooling section of the guide that talks about Mongol and meteor toys and the Chrome tools that you're talking yeah. about. Wasn't there like uh, someone who like forked Mongo and um, made their own version or something? Yeah, I think there was something called Constellation. Constellation, that's what it was. Yeah. Well, looks like those people dropped off. So <laughs> <laughs> much like everything in software, I, we haven't heard so anything from Max in a long time about media related anything uh, up until recently. So yeah, he's been he must be back in the game. He's been uh, jet setting around the country, or around the world. So nice to see him back. Yeah, he so, comes back and like everything's changed. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so uh, GraphQL, the last story of the day. You want to tell us about that? Yeah. So this is a this is a really good post. It's actually um, it's by the Apollo guys. Mm-hmm. Um, Jonas to be uh, specific and he covers like three questions that I get uh, asked pretty much a lot. I'm going to go through this article. And I'm going to give you some takes on like, you know, what the right answers are. I know a lot about GraphQL now. So the questions that we usually get are, is GraphQL easy to secure? And I know that's a question that you're very interested in. Mm-hmm. Is it easy to build a GraphQL server? Mm-hmm. 
And the last thing is, can I use GraphQL with any insert front-end library here? You know? The answer is there are easy answers to all these questions. And so let's start with the first one. Is GraphQL easy to secure? Well, the thing is, and the thing that most people don't realize, like the, the GraphQL, like the query language part, the QL part, is very misleading. Because when you're thinking about query language, you're thinking about a database. You're thinking about, oh, permissions to a DB. But in reality, GraphQL is an application query language. Essentially, like, it queries the data that is given to it, right? So a lot of security, you can imagine that whatever you're doing with REST APIs today, how you're making them secure, can also, is essentially just a restructuring. GraphQL is just a restructuring of a REST API into a different syntax that anybody can consume. So the same principles apply. You shouldn't lose any security whether you use GraphQL or a REST API or anything like that. Now, what GraphQL doesn't do is make sure you have your security. So if you're not writing secure stuff already, GraphQL will be insecure. You know what I mean? So that's on, actually, that's on the, the server developer who's publishing this data. Uh, and especially in media, right? Yeah, when you're publishing would... data, you're responsible for the security of that data. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's like the key thing for me, like whenever I do a media or code review is the fact that most people don't realize like the publications are where the, the security happens. And I would think that it's true here too, right? Like the resolvers are where the security really needs to happen. Exactly. And so like there's a, we, we talked about this a little bit. There's a, a piece in the documentation that shows you how to like set the um, user ID basically using tokens. Yep. On, on both sides and then you can kind of rely on that and query your data based on who's the logged in user and what should they be able to see and all that kind of stuff. So I, I think you're right. It's, it's really not that different. It's pretty similar to how REST or Meteor currently yeah, works. Yeah. And we're working on, we're working on some type of GraphQL authentic, authentication in Apollo. So you can have the luxury of making sure this, the various resolvers are secure via the proxy itself. But let's say that doesn't exist and it's never going to exist. You yourself should always take, it, take responsibility and make your stuff secure because uh, you cannot rely on tools to make your stuff secure for you. I mean, you can use them, but you have to remember that they need to be secure in the first place. So that's the answer to that question. The next question is, is it easy to build a GraphQL server? The answer, the quick answer is hell yeah, it is easy. And there's a, there's a package called Apollo that helps you do that. But if you didn't use Apollo, there's a lot of different GraphQL server implementations. And if you wanted to build your own, the only things you really need to know are, one, prior art. And what I mean by that is look at other GraphQL imp implementations. Two, you need to know what the GraphQL spec is. Like you need to read the spec and how it works. Essentially, then you can make a GraphQL server. And there's not there's like very sparse documentation on how exactly you can build one, but you know Jonas has a couple couple of blog posts about the whole GraphQL server. So essentially, what a GraphQL server needs is a schema, and that's just going to be the application schema. So when the client asks for certain data, uh, the, the GraphQL server can resolve that data. So on the other end of the side, on the server side, you need resolve functions. And this tells the GraphQL server how to fetch data for a certain type, right? This also goes into security, too, because if the client has a certain schema, and the schema, you know, if you imagine the schema as, you know, just plain as, uh, like, objects, 
or you, you think of the schema keys as functions, but you can take parameters. So if I say on the clients, if I want to get the post and I only can take an ID, then no one, there's no, there's actually no security hole in the client because I can only pass ID. I can't pass anything more than that, right? So it's very secure on the client because the client is dumb and it can only do what it's told instead of it just, you know, instead of people like trying to like put like, uh, you know, stupid parameters that may like crash your, your, your business logic and all that stuff, like which happens to people, that stuff's not possible. So yeah, it is easy to build a GraphQL server um, and there's a really good uh, diagram that was uh, made by Dom and MDG on how this whole server to client relationship works. And I, I encourage people to check it out. And then the last question, can I use GraphQL with Angular, React, Ember, Redux? The answer is yes. All you need is a GraphQL client. You need some type of interface that can speak to the GraphQL server. So, for example, Arunoda, right, he made this thing called Laka. And that is a really, that is an implementation of a, a GraphQL client. And essentially what you can do is you can NPM install Laka and you have these certain methods that will talk to the GraphQL server that you set up. Um, at Apollo, we're building Apollo client, which is the same type of implementation, but a lot more like cooler features like uh, query parsing. So you don't have to write these huge uh, schemas and resolve functions all in this massive object. Uh, you can actually do schemas separately from your resolve functions and we parse those and we make them pretty and do all that great stuff. Also, the Apollo client has integrations to Angular 2. So if you want to fit into your current workflow, you can just use Angular 2's integration to Apollo. If you're using React, there's React Apollo. And as more people get involved, there will be other integrations. But today, let's say you're not using Apollo. All you need is a GraphQL client and you should be good. That's all you need. And uh, with this, that means you can have a React Native app, you can have a mobile app, you can have all these front ends. As long as you have that client interface, you can talk to GraphQL server. So, like, how do you GraphQL? It's actually very easy. The first thing is to start GraphQLing. <laughs> and you'll start figuring out all the pieces as you go. Um, but, yeah, this is actually a, the second show where you talked about this stuff. But I think we'll continually try to educate people as these, uh, these uh, posts go up because it's really having, having starting to build something of scale. And personally, it's, it's getting really nice, you know. Yeah, I would agree. Like there, there's definitely, this has been like a long running kind of problem. I'm trying to think there was a standard that Steve Klabnik was working on. It had to do with like a REST API, but like being able to ask for a bunch of information about the REST API and not necessarily having to make a bunch of calls uh, repeatedly. Hypermedia, that was it. The idea is that uh, here, uh, designing hypermedia APIs. Every web service needs a killer API to interact with numerous clients and other web services. Users expect the applications they use to work together in interesting and fresh ways. Programmable web has created interesting experiences, blah, blah, blah. Hypermedia and RESTful principles drive the large distributed app application, drive the largest distributed application ever, World Wide Web. Where's like, oh, here you go. Uh, flexibility, loose coupling, a lot of fluff on this page. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I, I, I can't find it now, but uh, I seem to remember the ideas behind hypermedia were kind of similar in that you're just able to 
send in a request and it would tell you it i think it was like aware of all the things it knew about and it could respond and tell you like here's some things you can ask for basically yeah so i mean it's it's like dancing on this idea that like if i think back to the days of me consuming twitter or facebook apis you know i have to make multiple calls to find out all the information that i need and that's For me as a developer, that's frustrating. Like, I'd rather just be able to make a call and say, like, here's the, the data I need to run, uh, you know, my particular application and just get it all in one swing. Yep. That would be amazing. Whereas instead we get, like, you know, um, with Twitter, you get, like, multiple REST calls that you have to make. You get, like, um, rate limiting that's applied to that and all kinds of things. And it's, like, it's, I don't know, it's just really a bad experience in my yeah. opinion. Imagine like imagine a huge data store like you might have to call like five APIs, join them on the client, and then now you've built like these like special utility functions that can never be reused because they're like so specific, and like the data that you get back probably has like fifteen keys that are just like properties that you don't really care about. Like I've been in those nightmares where the REST API is kind of inflexible, and the people who write it are inflexible, which kind of sucks, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Imagine just saying like, imagine being a client developer where, I mean, back then when I was just consuming REST APIs, I didn't really care what, what happened. Like, just give me my data because I'm trying to make a really good UX. And I think that is the same principle here. Like, I don't, I don't want to have meetings about the API changes. I don't care about the API. I don't care about how you did it. I don't care about the database. I just want the JSON. That's all I care about. Yep. And I know mobile developers very well. They're that they're kind of some of them, most of them, um, are like that. They want to build really nice apps, products, mm-hmm. product developers. And we, we shouldn't get bogged down by having to do so much overhead to render uh, a list item. Yep. To render Facebook newsfeed, I bet you, if they're doing that with REST. Oh man, there's so much metadata about every user, every post, every newsfeed. Like mm-hmm. that would be impossible. I mean, it would be very possible because they did it before, but yeah. it would be really, you know, crappy experience. You know, I think most people should uh, start GraphQLing. Really, um, whether you use it in your app or not, like start getting into it because you know, once Facebook and you know, like once Relay, you know, Relay standalone, once that gets bigger, like like anything Facebook does, that thing will just blow up, and then people, everyone's going to start using it. And the best thing you can do for yourself is get ahead of the curve. Whether it's valuable to you now or not, it's going to be valuable in the future. kind of wish I got on the React rocket ship before it took off. But I'm on it now, which is great. But like, it would have been nice to be there when it blew up, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I'm trying to do the same thing with this GraphQL stuff. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. I think it's, it's definitely like where things will head in the future. And even if, you know, GraphQL itself... Gosh, now I wish I could remember the tweet, but it was like, it was along the lines of like, even if Relay fails, the idea of GraphQL will live on for a long time because it's like, it's out there as a spec and it makes sense to a lot of people. And once people start conforming to it, like it's, I think it's, you're right. Like it's, it's going to take off. Uh, I think it'll be kind of the next big thing to replace rest. (laughs) Got my window open today. Two two, <laughs> yeah. The guy's like sitting out there on his horn loudly. <laughs> I guess just as you say that, he honks it. <laughs> yes. Uh, I guess we'll we'll call that a show. Um, 
Yeah, so big. <laughs> nice long one there. That was, <laughs> that was a long one just for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, big thanks to uh, DigitalOcean and Modulus for being sponsors as always. And if you want to hang out in the Slack chat room, you can go to Patreon, P A T R E O N dot com slash Meteor Club. Join there, ten bucks a month. Get you in, like that's that's like what two cups of coffee at Starbucks. Get you the best source of like finding answers to your questions around building JavaScript apps ever. Testimonial at the end every time, but like there are a lot there. Of really, what, what more do I have to say? No, no. There's like a lot of people. There are a lot of interesting people from JavaScript community and Meteor community uh, in that chat room. The people that you probably read their blog posts are in there. Yeah. So why read their blog posts and comment on them rather than just hit them a personal message on Slack, right? Yeah. Like I'll answer any DM on Slack in the Meteor Club chat room. Yep. And I'm pretty sure everyone else will. So it's really a good community to join. And uh, yeah, do it. Definitely. In case you missed it today too, I announced uh, the next CraterConf, the uh, mobile edition. I'm kind of excited about that. Yeah, so it's going to be really good. If you're interested in like building mobile apps, this is with, with JavaScript, not necessarily like native. Uh, we're not talking about Objective-C or Java or anything like that. We're talking purely JavaScript. So Cordova, React Native, NativeScript, any of those kinds of options that are out there, uh, we're likely going to have a talk on it. I'm actually super excited too because we have some of the new spring guys coming in and I think James might talk, he's talking, definitely talking about switching from Cordova to React Native. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of hoping he'll show off a little of the GraphQL action they got going on as well. Yeah. Hopefully, um, hopefully we get some, uh, some, yeah, some Apollo action out of that. Uh, yeah. I, I, I did ask Martin, uh, Wallraven to come on, uh, but he's on vacation at that time. So he won't yeah. So well, little, maybe someone else from the Apollo team can uh, do that presentation. Yeah, I, I reached out to a couple other people, so we'll see what happens. Like, I'm super excited for John Pinkerton's talk as well from New Spring. Like, he's going to talk about all their automation. So they're like, you know, doing a Git commit, and then that like triggers building the web app, and then it triggers like building the mobile app, and then yeah. submitting it to the app store for update. And now that the app store's down to like two day review time, like. My yeah. guess is they're going to start shipping stuff like crazy. Yeah, and like that that automation is in our Apollo projects, like our GitHub. Like, it's really clean. Like, when we submit a pull request, there's so much stuff that we have automated, and it just makes contributing a lot easier. Then that was the main point: is we want everybody, everyone listening, anybody, to come join us and help us out. And it's not going to be like the stuff in the past. It's like transparent, and you can help. And we're making it easy for you. We give you all the information to do it, so do it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll catch you next week. All right. See ya. This has been a Space Dojo production. You can find out more information about Space Dojo at spacedojo.com. It's easy to join the mailing list and stay in the loop. That's S-P-A-C-E-D-O-J-O dot com.